a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Seriously, I'm glad you could check it out today. Whether you're a first-time listener, long-time listener, or just, you know, somebody trying to figure out how to make sense of everything that's going on. Not an easy thing these days, given how confusing the world is, and given that there is an actual, official, concerted effort to keep you from getting too close to the truth. Oh, I understand that uh, it sounds like conspiracy ramblings, right? This is, this is that angry guy in the corner of the trailer park that nobody wants to talk to, right? The one who wears tinfoil on his head? Yep, that's, that's me. I'm kidding. It's, it, it's just such a strange time. I, look, I've been in the media for, it's, wow, it's coming up on 40 years. Next year, I'll hit my 40-year mark of uh, sitting behind the microphone. And I won't say that I was always aware. At first, I was kind of starstruck. Wow, media, well, even, you know, radio. Uh, of course, this is back, you know, in Howard Stern's ascendancy and Rush Limbaugh's ascendancy. And it was a big deal, but my eyes were opened along the way. And having been inside the media beast, I have a bit of understanding about how it works. One thing I can tell you is that if you want to know the truth, if you really want to understand what's going on, first of all, first thing you got to get your mind around is it's impossible to know everything. Why? Well, because the world is a big place and there's a lot of complicated stuff that's going on at any given time. What the news media chooses to focus on, that's a decision made by somebody, possibly the corporate level or somebody you know higher up in the organization who decides this is what's worthy of the amount of airtime that we have you know, to fill today. So as long as you can understand, somebody's making the decision as to what news stories you're going to see, but more importantly, which ones you aren't. Now, I don't think it, it should be, it should be pretty self-evident. I would hope to anybody paying attention that right now, our news media, <clears throat> by which I mean our corporate media, basically the, the press in America, including Fox News, actually serves those in power. It serves as a narrative manager. It serves as a delivery platform for the people in power, those in authority, to, to get out to the public. This is what you're supposed to believe. This is what you're supposed to feel. Oh, what was his name? Um, darn it. His name escapes me here for a moment. But there, there was a writer a few years ago. Actually, it's probably been about 10 years ago. That uh, was, was spending a lot of time talking about the role of the media in, in helping the public know what to think. Um, and one of the things he described that was so uncanny was he described the high priests and the high priestesses of, of this uh, media religion. But these are the figureheads. These are the anchors. And when they go on location, we're coming to you live from Maui, you can be sure this is the most important story in the world. How do we know that? Because they sent this incredible, you know, um, high priest or high priestess to tell us what to think and to tell us how to feel and to, to help us make sense of it all. By the way, if you haven't read the book Propaganda by Edward Bernays, this book was published almost a century ago. 
And I think if you were to pick it up and you were to read it, you would be shocked at uh, how relevant what it says is today, keeping in mind that this was the guy who invented, or who at least, um, he, he really set it up as almost a science. If you need to manipulate public opinion, this is the way that you do it. And it's something that's been well understood and utilized by pretty much every government or every power center, because government's not the only power center, you know, since that time. I know. <laughs> Propaganda. Well, you sounds like you're trying to peddle more of those tinfoil conspiracies. But all I can say is if you can read Edward Bernays' words and understand that there are people behind the scenes that you and I never see, never hear. We don't know their names. But they call the shots as far as this is what we want to emphasize in terms of, you know, we're going to emphasize this take on this particular issue. And we're going to talk about this issue and exclude these issues, which are considered somehow lesser. So, sorry, it's a long rambling way to say everything that comes to you via mass media has been pretty thoroughly worked over by the time it reaches your eyeballs or your ears. So be skeptical. In fact, take it one step further. This, this is really, okay, here's, here's where I step up, and I'm one of millions of other people who feel that call to encourage people to still value the truth, to go after the truth, even if it's, if it's costly, even if it's inconvenient and requires exertion. But if you want to know what's true, if you want to know the difference between fact and fiction, if you want to train yourself to be able to spot deception so that you can reject it instead of embracing it. You're going to have to learn how to find the truth yourself. And the crazy thing about it is we're taught from a very early age. I wink, wink, about age five is when we're taught you should defer to somebody in authority. You should ask permission, right? Just raise your hand. That's it. And you'll see adults do this, you know, in meetings. I'll just raise my hand. May I use the restroom? You're an adult. <laughs> just, just, you know, politely stand up, excuse yourself, or just politely stand up, walk out, and, you know, nobody's going to question you. But, again, it's ingrained to us as kids. Somebody in authority, you know, somebody who knows better than me is, is the one to make this decision. But that's not true. You are the person, and only you are the person who can best evaluate what is in your best interest. Now, does this mean that, uh, you know, people will never make wrong choices or use bad judgment or sometimes just, you know, make big mistakes? No, that's part of being human. But nobody has more at stake than you do in making the right choice. So based on that, I'm more inclined to say, yeah, you go ahead and make the choice yourself. You prioritize, you know, what's most important to you. See, to me, this is one of the greatest arguments against uh, taxation. Sorry, I'm off on a tangent, but... You know, the worst thing about taxes, even though we're kind of conditioned, again, starting at about age five and then upward through the system, we're taught, well, but this is the price we pay for civilization. I don't know if you've noticed what civilization has been trying to force on us or more, more appropriately on our kids of late. But I don't want that. In, in fact, I would, I would stop paying if they would let me, but they won't, Right. And, and we've been trained to believe, and it's right then, if you don't pay this, why, it's a good thing if men with guns and badges come and hurt you or threaten to hurt you and, you know, shame you in front of everybody else. 
So yeah, we've all we've all been deceived. We've all been brainwashed. We've all had to fight our way to a better vantage point to really kind of get an assessment of what's going on. And all I do daily as I sit down and I share a few articles and a few insights and thoughts and encourage you is I want to encourage you to do what it takes to understand the world around you. Now, that doesn't mean you have to know everything in incredible detail and depth. I'm just saying be a well-rounded person, but understand nobody is going to tell you the stuff that matters most. That's stuff you're going to have to go figure out and find out for yourself. And you'll get good at it quickly. It really comes with practice. Just like sharpening your thinking skills. Comes with practice. It's not a superpower. It's not, uh, you know, we're not uh, witching for water with, with sticks. Ah, that one seems to me like those sticks crossed. You must have told me a lie. Nope. I guess what I'm asking is is stop trusting other people to tell you that this is the way that it is. And by the way, that means me too, okay? I know, I know, I sound like a pretty trustworthy guy. And you know what? I try to live as a trustworthy guy. It takes a very long time to establish credibility and you can lose it in an instant. But I don't want you to trust me. If you really want to know what's happening, you're going to have to become that human truth detector. You're going to have to be that uh, that person who sorts and searches and and figures things out for themselves rather than waiting for somebody in authority to give you the truth because that's not going to happen. Truth isn't something handed to you by someone in authority. Now, the liberating thing about that is that means you don't have to wait around for somebody else to go, hey, this doesn't look right, or I, I think we should be looking for a solution to this. This means you can step up as you see it. And within your own rights, meaning you're not infringing on anybody else's rights, you can even apply solutions. That's a hard sell, though. You can probably imagine why. That's a tough sell to people who've been trained all their lives that, oh, no, 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 you're not good enough. Only the experts can suggest solutions, which somehow always seem to include more of the government, more of taxation. Huh. Funny, it's almost like those experts get their checks signed by, you know, people from the government. Is it? Oh, they do? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a that's a happy coincidence. Funny how that worked out for, for just about everybody. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. If you have uh, subscribed to my show notes, congratulations. You got one probably waiting in your email inbox right now. Otherwise, uh, you can do so by going to thebrianhydeshow.com. Look at the bottom of the show notes page and you'll find a subscribe button. It's going to ask for your email. I'll take it from there. And I will not share your email with anybody for any reason. This is purely for, you know, sending show notes out to you. So here's, here's another kind of sign of the times. Do, do you worry sometimes maybe we're, we're losing our, our grasp of what is true, what is good, what is real? Well, as this pertains to human life, 
You know, it seems like it's always been up for debate, but but some of the things that are being said, for instance, I'm looking at an article right now. The headline says, having babies is profoundly immoral. We should move toward extinction, say bioethicists. Okay, this is from an author by the name of Michael Cook writing for intellectualtakeout.org. But you realize, I mean, this... This headline grabbed me, I guess, in part because I've been watching some of the reaction to yesterday's uh, municipal elections. I think they were primary, primarily uh, municipal, maybe a few states. There might have been one or two. I don't think there was any federal elections. But anyway, it was election day. Ohio voted big in favor of upholding abortion rights. And this is shocking. I guess voters in Kentucky, same thing. Strong, strong Democratic showing. And I mean, I'm not trying to tell you, therefore, all is lost. Ohio is now solidly pro-abortion. I think they probably already were. I think they also legalized, they may have legalized recreational weed. But anyway, I don't know if those two things even even go together. But the bottom line is, you know, this this was considered a huge victory. And this is, you were seeing people cheering all over the place. Yes, Ohio, it's going to show that a woman can have an abortion anytime she wants. And that's when I stop and go, yeah, we kind of come a ways in that whole, uh, you know, human life is precious. To where, no, it's only precious when it, it, it works for me politically. Do you see the difference there? Anyway, Michael Cook has this to say. He starts with a quote from H.G. Wells' Time Traveler, describing the world in 30 million A.D. This is how they describe it. The darkness grew apace, a cold wind began to blow in freshening gusts from the east, and the showering white flakes in the air increased in, in number. From the edge of the sea came a ripple and whisper. Beyond these lifeless sounds, the world was silent. Silent? It would be hard to convey the stillness of it. All the sounds of man, the bleeding of sheep, the cries of birds, the hum of insects, the stir that makes the background of our lives, all that was over. I saw the black central shadow of the eclipse sweeping towards me. In another moment, the pale stars were visible. All all else was rayless obscurity. The sky was absolutely black. That sounds a little bit somber, right? Bleak, but it's scoured clean of mankind. And that's the reason that Michael Cook shares this. He says, now, that's not such a bad future, according to a couple of Finnish bioethicists in an editorial about, see if I can get this right, anti-natalism in bioethics, one of the world's leading bioethics journals. So these two Finnish bioethicists say, by adopting anti-natalism through voluntary human extinction, all of humanity's problems could be solved. I'm assuming that was said with a straight face, yes? We believe that through voluntary human extinction, we can solve all of humanity's problems. Wow. That's like, there's the bridge, sir. If you just step off there, your problems will be over, right? Well, Juna, I hope I'm saying this right, Juna Rasanen and Matty Hairi believe it is arguably morally wrong to have children. If there were no children, suffering would disappear in a few generations. So it's basically the same argument utilitarians use to justify euthanasia. Instead of ending the suffering of the patient, though, it's better to end the suffering patient. Now, one of the things they say here is that severe problems such as climate change would find a resolution if humans ceased to exist, thus eliminating environmental destruction. Now, hold up there, friends. 
Why is it that, uh, you know, I mean, again, we're going on, on scientific assumption, but why is it that scientists seem to be able to show that there have been environmental fluctuations throughout the history of this planet? You can see it in tree rings. You can see it in ice layers. You can see it in the rocks and the, uh, the geologic record. In other words, before there were humans, there was still climate shift and there was climate change. I don't know. Maybe there's another agenda that's at work here. They go on to say, it appears that numerous problems plaguing humanity, such as wars, famine, crime, discrimination. Oh, that's a big one. I think we all kind of, you know, lay awake at night worrying about that. Uh, And cruel treatment to animals, to name a few, would vanish if humans would not exist. The adoption of antinatalism would therefore truly solve everything. (laughs) If there's a more scientific way to say, kill yourself. I don't know what, what it would be. Humans are causing planetary destruction so great that it would be better if they ceased to exist. That's what these two bioethicists are saying. And they actually quoted a, a character from the TV show Real Detective. The honorable thing for our species to do is deny our programming, stop reproducing, walk hand in hand into extinction. One last midnight, brothers and sisters opting out of a raw deal. Well, that sounds like some pretty gritty writing for sure. Now, no doubt these bioethicists throw a barrel of laughs at the pub and karaoke champs in the university common room, but even in an academic journal, their misanthropy is confronting. They seem breathlessly eager to pop the balloon of Elan Vital, to use the technical jargon, technical jargon rather, life sucks. So they go on to say, life thus bears a resemblance to a pyramid scheme where new participants work for the well-being of the previous victims of the scheme, creating a vicious circle where new people must be recruited to benefit those already within the system. The game only exists as long as new players join and the scheme ultimately ends badly for latecomers because it's not possible to recruit new members indefinitely. Nonetheless, there isn't a finite maximum of potential humans to exist. Consequently, it seems that the pyramid scheme of life will go on approaching infinity, postponing the final suffering of the last generation by always creating the the next generation. As one generation replaces another, suffering persists. In the meantime, humanity also inflicts suffering upon other species through direct killing and indirect environmental degradation. Yeah, there's nothing anti-human about what they're saying there, right? Good heavens. And as far as far as there being suffering, look, I, I know I'm not the first person to figure this out, but uh, maybe that is part of the laws that govern this world, as in natural law. I'm not suggesting that suffering is something that, that we all should be seeking out. Okay, we're not masochists, right? But there is a certain amount of suffering that's part of this world. And the idea that, uh, well, but human life, you know, it's actually taking everything that's good out of the world. I mean, this Malthusian thinking of there's going to be too many people, we won't be able to see them, or to feed them, rather. We won't be able to take care of them. All the resources are going to be used up. That kind of thinking isn't something new. This didn't just start in the 1970s. It, it's, uh, it goes back a couple hundred years, probably 250 years, maybe. Mr. Malthus was concerned about this. And there have been a lot of people throughout there. But here's the crazy thing, and this is what's uh, counterintuitive. I believe this is true, though. The more people 
You add to the human population, the more brain power you also add to the human population, the more minds you have working on the various problems that we're trying to find solutions to. Tell me how that's a bad thing. In other words, more minds working on these problems creates greater innovation. To me, that makes sense. Yeah, but at what cost? Well, it solves the problem and doesn't, uh, you know, ask a sizable portion of the people inhabiting the planet to step off, you know, for the betterment of the planet. Like I say, if you if you see anti-human or you get the, the tinge of anti-human um, ideology from environmentalists, it's not a mistake. You're not just imagining it. It, it really seems to be there. Anyway, got a link to this article in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, I got a great one here for you, uh, just because Disney used to be such a safe place. I actually count myself as very lucky that my kids grew up in a time where uh, we planned a trip to Disneyland. We actually took my son Forrest there for, let's see, how old would he have been? Four years old? I'm thinking, yeah, he was four year, He was turning four years old. We took him to Disneyland, and... It was still a great place to take the kids. I remember the first time I went. I think I was 18, maybe 19 years old. Just blown away. Now, flash forward a few years, almost 30 years, and wow, what on earth happened to Disney? It's killing itself in the name of social justice. Is, is, there, is there a more woke brand out there than Disney? I mean, I don't, I don't know. But it is definitely not the safe place that, that we once regarded for our kids. I mean, you could take your kids anywhere in Disneyland and know that everything here is going to be on the up and up. It's going to be appropriate. It's going to be expensive. That much we knew. But, yeah, something's happened. Got an article here from Tim Young. This is from uh, AmericanGreatness.com or AmGreatness.com. He says, Disney's live-action studio, which includes Marvel Studios, is crumbling. And all because of their insane attempt to push a woke agenda to an audience who just isn't having it. Now, Tim confesses. He says, I saw a total of one film in theaters in 2022. And it was more than enough to encourage me to give up on the hopes that my childhood nerd would be entertained by a movie ever again. In May of 2022, he says, I ventured out to see Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And the studio's attempt to push diversity wasn't just obvious. It was downright goofy and exhausting. The lead character of the film was an Hispanic girl named America and could openly cross borders through space and times. If that message wasn't over or if that messaging wasn't overt enough for you, she had lesbian mothers. Now perhaps Disney executives should have attended the screening I went to in order to understand where things were headed for them. When the lesbian mothers were introduced, the half-filled theater let out a nearly unanimous audible groan. People were sick of it then, they're sick of it now. And he says Disney's stock shows this. In March of 2021, Disney's stock reached $197. As of the writing of this piece, he reports that it sits at nearly $83. 
down nearly 58%. So, in addition to the falling stocks, Disney's Marvel Studios is currently looking down the line at their biggest flop of a film yet, The Marvels, which currently has 72% less pre-sale tickets than their last flop, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. So, in case you weren't aware, The Marvels is the sequel to Captain Marvel, which starred one of the most unlikable feminist preachers in Hollywood, Brie Larson. Aside from rumors of being a wretch of a human to work with, Larson once famously compared being asked for her phone number by a TSA agent to sexual assault. The Captain Marvel character was really the archetype of misandry in Hollywood, the physical embodiment of the eye-rolling lecture on how men are dumb, weak, and feeble compared to women who can never be wrong or fallible in any way. Unless it turns out... People don't enjoy being lectured to at the theater or on streaming platforms. As other attempts at social justice lecturing failed with She-Hulk, Attorney at Law, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and Ms. Marvel failed to pull or retain audiences. Seriously, if you want a grown-worthy, preachy social justice speech, just watch Anthony Mackie's Falcon really hand it to these rich white people and try not to roll your eyes. Yes, there's a link included in the article. But Disney's Marvel Studios aren't just their only social lecture or social justice lecture films that are flopping. The Little Mermaid live-action film, whose only marketing ploy was that they made her black, barely passed the break-even point for the film's massive budget. And their next live-action production, Snow White, seems to be attempting to completely sink the ship on purpose. Now, nothing epitomizes where Disney currently is like taking the very film that revolutionized cartoons and put their animation studio on the map, Snow White, and then reimagining it. Audiences don't even have to pretend to understand what reimagining could mean in this instance. Disney hired a petulant, obnoxious Gen Z actress to tell us all about it. Rachel Ziegler hates the original Snow White source material, and she hasn't been quiet about it. From the prince to Snow White ever needing help, To basically every element of the award-winning 1937 classic, she seemingly can't stand it. Disney went the extra mile originally by not hiring dwarf actors in the film and having some sort of gross group of hipsters following her around. So this film is nothing short of a woke disaster and potentially one of the final nails in the coffin of the current studio. But does it even matter to Disney at this point? As the walls slowly crumble around the once great Disney studios, what ultimately will be the deciding factor on their direction? In addition to Marvel Studios and Disney's woke live-action remakes of cartoons, both the Star Wars and Indiana Jones franchises have been run into the ground with plots based around social justice lectures. Their cartoons teach kids about CRT, DEI, and gender dysphoria. And their theme parks employ men dressed as women to sell clothes to children. Yeah, that's the big difference between Disney today and Disney, you know, 21 years ago. So what will it take for them to connect the billions they've lost to their decision to push the leftist narrative, even with shakeups in their executive leadership? They they seem to continue steering the box office Titanic directly into the iceberg. Perhaps the messaging to them is ultimately worth uh, more than the money. As a conservative, it's fun to watch a company go woke and go broke. But he says as a lifelong nerd and movie fan, it's depressing to see a once great empire destroy everything that was once fun to watch. And maybe this is a little too sentimental, but, you know, just speaking for myself, 
I'm sad for Disney just because it was such a huge part of my childhood. I mean, I, I grew up watching the wonderful world of Disney. You know, every Sunday night, that was that was part of what we, we popped popcorn and we sat down and we watched Disney together as a family. Granted, that's that's probably just my privilege talking there, but Disney was trusted. It was trusted to come up with fun and entertaining and safe content when I was a kid. It was trusted when my kids were small. Now, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't knowingly spend a dime for any Disney product, which is tough because they own a lot of other brands as well. If you watch any, you know, Netflix and that sort of stuff, you, you've, you've probably got some Disney brands there. So the author here says, look, I don't want, Tim Young says, I don't want to end on necessarily a negative note. Glass half full, you can pick up toys from any of the aforementioned properties, as well as Black Panther, Shang-Chi, and many more Disney productions for less than half of their uh, manufacturer's suggested retail price at your local fall-off-the-truck store. But he says, don't go to a major retailer for your Christmas shopping. He says, go to Ollie's, Ross, TJ Maxx, get all the merchandise for pennies on the dollar. That's probably good advice. I think we're all going to be stretching a little bit this year, but uh, what do you think of that? Do you agree, disagree? I mean, there are, I, one of the things I do appreciate about the Disney Channel, one of my kids subscribes, I do appreciate that they have the old school films that they did. You know, That Darn Cat and uh, Herbie the Love Bug and the computer wore tennis shoes and stuff like that. For the time they were made, these were incredible, funny films. But that was before everything got politicized. And and I guess this brings me full circle. This is why I encourage you to please look at your life and consider all the areas you could depoliticize and just watch and see if your sense of happiness, if your sense of satisfaction, maybe even your sense of hope don't have a corresponding bump upwards just seems like the whole goal of politics is to keep us focused on fear and anger and disgust and and there's people i'm, I'm watching it on on twitter x I, i'm sorry I, i'm going to call it twitter probably for the foreseeable future but whew, it's a fun platform and you can learn a lot from it but man the nastiness is always fueled 100 percent by politics, and, and and it's not even, you know, reasoned discussion. Well, I believe that this is probably the better way that we handle this reapportionment issue. I get it. Not everybody wants to sit around and discuss politely, but it's this is the worst kind of politics. This is the kind of, you know, gotcha politics where everybody's looking for the advantage, looking for the score, cheap points. I'm going to count coup and whack, you know, take your scalp to show that I was in this discussion. It doesn't seem particularly productive but it's definitely definitely a part of i guess how how social media works these days i'm going to ask you to do something that, uh, that that's a little more difficult and that is rise above it if you're looking for information search out information that actually brings light and brings understanding not just heat you know and and, and outrage And the time you uh, spend wasting with strangers on the internet could better be spent getting yourself better informed or better still, inspiring someone else to look in the direction of the truth. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back. This is our fourth and final segment today. I've got three articles I want to recommend for your consideration. We'll start with the article of the day. I know how I would answer this question, but I'm going to ask you, can we trust those in authority to keep themselves in check? Hold for laughter. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I don't think so. Not, not bloody likely, but I've got a great article here from Kit Knightley from offguardian.org about how the COVID inquiry in, uh, in Great Britain, it's been going on now for several weeks. It's nothing more than propaganda. Kit says, you know, we really haven't mentioned, you know, much about this uh, COVID inquiry uh, because there's no point. But we know what it's going to find. The same kind of thing this navel-gazing show trial always finds. Things like the government underestimated and or overreacted. And there was a failure of imagination based on bad intelligence. Or a lack of accountability and oversight led to some minor abuses of power by people who will be censured, may be forced to resign, but definitely will never face any criminal trial. Yeah. So whatever they find eventually, officially happened, Kit Knightley says you can be sure that corruption and malfeasance and personal profit played no part. Nobody ever acted in bad faith. Everything is always a well-intentioned accident, a minor display of overzealous incompetence. It's worth a read. But it's, it's, this is what's going on in Britain. I assume there, there are probably similar maneuvers going on here. And if there is an inquiry, I don't think there is any kind of official inquiry going on, at least here, here in the U.S., They're going to try to convince us that what happened with this wave of lockdowns, not just here, but everywhere around the world, was just oh, some kind of happy happenstance. Or it was just a, just a huge coincidence. Dozens of little ethnic, ethnically diverse little, uh, little uh, people just all making the exact same mistakes for the exact same reasons at the exact same time in almost every nation of the world. Wow, what a coincidence. I like how Kit Knightley puts it. What COVID really revealed, what the inquiry going on in Britain will never so much as hint at, and what nobody in the mainstream wants us to talk about is that some greater authority exists above almost all national governments with both the desire and ability to dictate the domestic policies of almost every nation on earth. I'll let you uh, click on the article and find it for yourself and, and enjoy it. It's in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. All right, another one that I wanted to share with you is uh, this is just a kind of a quick one from American Thinker, but uh, Audrey Hale, that's the uh, the Covenant School shooter. You know, you knew of course yesterday that Stephen Crowder had published three pages of uh, of Audrey's manifesto. Okay, that's been confirmed now, and now of course the press is like, well, why would someone have leaked these things instead of why were they sitting on them in the first place? And if you've read the stuff, you know it's it's some pretty. It's some pretty unhinged stuff. <clears throat> Basically, anti-white racism with a good, healthy dose of leftist uh, anger and, uh, and a really sick individual <clears throat> talking about how, you know, I want to I kill all you little crackers. And the, the, what makes this an interesting comparison is Olivia Murray says, have you ever read any of Karl Marx's poetry? 
That's who, that's who Hale reminds her of. And Karl, Mokes, Karl Marx, I don't know if you, have, if you haven't seen his poetry. Let me share a couple of words with you here. Maybe you'll start to understand why, uh, why Marxism has negatively affected so many people. See, oh yeah, here it is. Marx wrote about walking like a god through the ruins of a place just destroyed. Listen to this poetry. Ruined, ruined. My time has clean run out. The clock has stopped. Soon I shall embrace eternity to my breast and soon I shall howl gigantic curses on mankind. That's, yeah, that's some pretty, that's some pretty twisted stuff. But it's the idea of themes of destruction and revenge. That was very much a part of Audrey Hale's manifesto. Deranged visions of joyfully dragging others to hell. Excitement over death. A desire to be feared. Vicious animosity towards the God of the Bible. Hale and Marx both tended in that direction. Tormented people have tormented thoughts, and when these internal thoughts fuel outward actions and expressions, as expected, the product is carnage. In Audrey Hale's uh, case, it was uh, carnage on a limited scale at a Christian school. Karl Marx's case, it was carnage on a massive scale that still continues under the influence of communism. Anyway, great article here. I will leave a link to that in today's show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. And finally... You know, preppers sometimes get a bad rap for reminding us that life isn't always smooth sailing. But I came across a very interesting article today uh, from Michael Devon, or Devon. Five items to remember for when disaster strikes. And these were different. These were things I hadn't heard of before. So I, I want to share them with you just on the off chance that maybe you'll find some of these useful. In this case, uh, Michael Devon says, Our national descent into the hellish landscape of climate hysteria, virulent Jew hatred in the streets, and Marxist-Leninist despotism continues unabated. Only starting on an optimistic note here. Due to runaway inflation and the massive federal debt, the dollar's value has shrunk like a cheap cotton towel washed in hot water. Weekly grocery bills and energy costs have almost doubled since 2021, while, the, while real wage growth has declined due to economic strangulation of progressive bureaucratic regulation and non-existent congressional oversight. Now, you combine this bleak economic outlook with our Obama-approved, hate-America-first, failed foreign policy, and you have the likely possibility of a severe economic depression during a time of multiple foreign military engagements. After all, stolen elections have predictable consequences. So how do you prepare for such an awful confluence of events? by accepting and acting upon the real possibility of food, water, energy, and medical supply shortages in the months ahead. So there are plenty of articles, videos, and social media posts that deal with the basics of prepping, but today he suggests acquiring overlooked items that may greatly aid in the rough times ahead. So Michael Devon says, first, real maple syrup. Now, this household staple can be used for barter, it can be used for your own food preparation, sealed in small glass bottles, or in those beige plastic jugs, maple syrup, maple, maple syrup rather requires no refrigeration and can be bartered in small quantities. Most preppers have five-gallon buckets of oatmeal in their pantry, but few include maple syrup and cinnamon to flavor their cooked cereal or cookies. That's a good idea. Maple syrup will always be in high demand. Number two, 
4-inch PVC pipe with assorted end caps, oxygen absorbers, and desiccant packs. Many Americans will want to protect and hide small, high-value items like pocket pistols, ammo, thumb drives, hard drives, family documents, passports, medical records, medicine, jewelry, watches, and precision tools and optics, either underground or behind a wall. Well, these can be safely stored in a large PVC pipe. It's in an expensive, waterproof, airtight container with the addition of a few desiccant packs and possibly a couple of oxygen absorbers before being sealed. Also, keep a map of hidden locations and have at least two different copies kept in the hands of trusted family and friends. All right, number three, second best barter item in difficult times is liquor. Divide up your liquor purchases into name brands and generic brands. Name brands cost more per bottle, but will also generate a higher value during a trade. Generic brands cost less per bottle, but they'll help you increase your overall bottle count faster. Liquor is to be stored in a cool, dark place using the distiller's original shipping carton. Happily, liquor can be consumed for your own personal use. All right. Number four, demand for cooking spices and non-perishable hot sauces like Tabasco brand will increase during difficult times because much of the freeze-dried and canned emergency food is underflavored. So your spice inventory should be allocated between barter and trade spices and spices for your own personal use. Plus, you just avoid food fatigue when you do start eating on, on your uh, food storage. Number five, other than firearms and ammo, the most desired non-perishable items will be instant coffee and tea bags stored in airtight containers, either vacuum-sealed or with an added oxygen absorber. So, America's crossed the tipping point, says this author. We can clearly see, Michael Devon says, we can clearly see the inevitable politically caused disasters like terrorism, overseas conflicts, and economic downturns are not going to be met with rational, coherent, and comprehensive solutions from the current federal or state authorities. So the bottom line here is each of us is now personally responsible for the survival of his family and friends. And he says, prepare accordingly. And start today. So hopefully that's more encouraging than uh, alarming. I don't share that with you, so you have one more thing to you know help uh, further your ulcer. If you haven't started already, today's the best day to start. And if you have started, keep up the good work, my friend. Day's going to come. You're going to look back and be very happy that you sacrificed a little bit now for what you'll have then. This is The Brian Hyde Show.